Hey, all, we need your help. We're hoping to raise $10,000 over the next few months to help cover the costs of a few current and upcoming projects. These include, but are not limited to, a complete redesign of our logo and design work for merchandise with our soon-to-be-announced store. Your donations will also be tax-deductible as we've just turned in the paperwork towards becoming an official nonprofit. Any amount is immensely helpful and we'll personally email each donor a thank you. Absolutely everything we do on this show is to make sure the gospel is heard throughout the world and the barrier of entry into confessional reform theology is as low as possible. So go to our show notes and click the link that says donor box at the top of the page and donate. Now on with the show. The the problem ultimately the problem they had you might say like mm-hmm. with, uh, with Arminianism was one of assurance. Oh yeah, that, oh, big time. That Armin yep. that they felt they were worried that the Arminians by saying Jesus died to make salvation possible for everyone, but not yeah. to actually secure it for anyone, um, that you were robbing people of assurance mm-hmm. by work by trying to solve the problem of of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast, a show devoted to bridging the gap to the historic Reformed Christian faith. Listen in as two friends, a layman Nick and a pastor Peter, discuss core doctrines of our confessional traditions with seminary and college professors, seasoned pastors, and more. These seasonal episodes exist to reach those outside the church, those in the pews, behind pulpits, and in the academy with rich truths of Reformed theology, and remind ourselves weekly how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, sponsored by Logos Bible Software, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. And we're on Season 6 Introduction to Reformed Theology. We're doing this episode on free will and predestination. And so our guest today is uh, Dr. Ellis, Dr. Brandon Ellis, and he's going to be helping us on this topic. And so before you guys uh, start listening to this episode, just a, a few reminders on the show notes as as usual, uh, there's actually for this season, we're dedicating it to Westminster Seminary, California. So there's a link to that seminary school. All of our guests are associated and connected to that seminary school in some way, shape, or form. So you'll learn how Brandon Ellis is connected to Westminster Seminary, California. But hit that link. It'll take you to the school to learn more about that seminary in Southern California. And then also just other basic reminders about who we are, what our show is, how to connect with us, um, find us on YouTube, subscribe to us there, our email address, how do you find us on social media. And then our website and our confessional podcasting network website, where we have other like-minded podcasts out there that uh, we come together and we have, uh, there's a dedicated website. So you can find these other podcasts. If you like our show, you'll probably like theirs as well. And then there's a link to find a confessional reform church near your area. If you need help finding one for yourself or somebody, you know, so again, the topic of this 
episode. If you haven't, uh, if it's not obvious already, it's free will and predestination. Very fascinating uh, topic. A lot of questions surrounding that. And so uh, we're going to jump into this episode. I will let Peter further introduce Brandon Ellis today. Yeah, we have Dr. Brandon Ellis, who uh, as of November of last year, at least announced, was the new executive editor of Modern Reformation. Uh, he's worked with a, a couple different uh, publishers and, and editors. Uh, he's he's worked with Faith Life, whom we're sponsored by through Logos. Worked with Lexham Press. Graduated from Westminster Seminary, California with an MA in Historical Theology in 07. Graduated from University of Aberdeen in 2010 uh, with the late John Webster. And much more we'll get into. But it's a pleasure having you on the show. Dr. Ellis, thanks for coming on. Yeah, Peter, Nick, thanks so much for having me. Of course. So first, the uh, icebreaker question is, um, you chose such an easy topic with free will and predestination. Maybe tell us a little bit more about your vast knowledge on this topic and how easy it is. Well, and I haven't particularly studied this topic in some sort of advanced way. And so I just I really thought a softball that's... would make me look good uh, or sound good, sound knowledgeable in front of your uh, your listeners. And so this is this is my opportunity to shine. This uh, this is true. Yeah, I, I, if people can't figure out we're being ex- extremely sarcastic. This is this is an ex- extremely difficult topic. So don't think we're just these Calvinists out here who are who think we know everything. Actually, my my, my more serious question, very serious question, extremely serious, probably the most serious question I'll ask <clears throat> this entire episode is tell me about the products you use for your beard. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a marvelous beard. Uh, thank you. Um, you'll have to imagine a marvelous beard if you're only listening to this. <laughs> yeah. um, so here's what I do. I do not, uh, I do not use a trimmers. I use a scissors. Oh, I trim okay. the, think of, think of a longer beard, like topiary. Okay. Right? It's like, shaping a plant and except instead of the shape of a dinosaur you're shaping it into a beard okay and so uh you use scissors and not trimmers or shavers right and then you um it's true you just keep it either well moisturized or you know if if your beard is really crazy like mine you <laughs> use like a heavier you know lotion or a mm-hmm. oil or something like that but um yeah not a nothing special John okay. Calvin would love it. That's, yeah. Most of our reformers would love it. Yeah. There's there's a lot of guys back there that would love this stuff who didn't who didn't have quite the resource the beard resources that you have today. So this is a this is a, just like just like free will and predestination. This is a this is a heavy thing that you got to mm. take care of. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, big responsibility. <laughs> That's right. With with a great beard, it's like we like we know about comes big responsibility. Someone once wise once said, "With great beard comes great responsibility." That's that was me. That was me oh, a little, okay. little yeah. like three seconds ago. That's okay. it was. Uh, yeah. I coined. The I thought term. it was Spider Man's uncle, but <laughs> that's right. So on to on to more serious things. Uh, beyond beyond your bio, let our listeners know a little bit more about yourself, Doctor Doctor Brandon Ellis. Well, let me. Uh, so you were tying things in with with Westminster, the story kind of through there. So I'll I'll um I'll try to do that. Sure. I grew up going to church as the thing that our family did because it was the appropriate thing to do. Yep. Same here. And my dad got sick with a 
some kind of rare form of cancer when I was 14 mm. and died when I was 16. Uh, uh, actually, you know, shortly after my 16th birthday. Mm. And so um, when that happened and through that whole process, our family, my mom and my brother and I, we just sort of stopped going to church. We stopped mm. trying, we stopped pretending. Yeah. And none of us ever talked about it. It just sort of fell apart. You know, it wasn't the thing that was giving us life. It was one of the many things in life that was draining. And so we just sort of fell away. Um, I, so I was you know, quite rebellious, uh, in my punk rock band, uh, during <laughs> high school. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I actually through a terribly failed relationship, which I won't get into, but mm -hmm. that was, that's, that was interesting. Um, the Lord's brought me back, uh, to church in the, in the, at the end of my first year of college mm -hmm. and the church that I started going to was a PCA right on the corner of uh, the college campus. Hmm. And at that church is the first time I ever learned in a college Bible study on first Kings that the whole Bible is about Jesus. Hmm. And, um, and it's the first time that week in and week out, I was sitting in church with my, my college group friends, you know, and again, just out, just fresh out of living totally contrary to how I should have. Sure. Um, but just hearing over and over again, the gospel and what was, you know, it just all kind of fell into place and it, you know, very quickly over the course of college, I went from not walking with the Lord at all to being really committed. And by the, you know, by the next year or the year after that, uh, totally had, you know, had my sights set on seminary because hmm. um, I was a, a history major and I was hmm. like, oh well, I'm fascinated by history. Now I want to go study the history of like doctrine and the church. And, and so then I go to uh, Westminster to get a historical theology degree, not for any other sort of doctrinal alignment reason for mm -hmm. Westminster, other than that they're one of the few that has, has a historical yep. theology MA with a, yep. you know, with a large writing component. Yep. And so it was between there and, you know, Marquette or a couple of other uh, usually the Roman Catholic schools are the yep. ones with the historical yep. theology departments. So I was like, great, let's, let's go do this. And then over the course of it, I started just falling in love with the Bible and theology. And what I really ultimately realized is like the reason I even like the history of doctrine and the church is because I love thinking and talking about God and everything in relation to God. And so, you know, it ultimately was like, oh, I just love theology and theology covers everything, you know? And so, uh, I had a great time uh, out at uh, WSC uh, for three years, and then um, we headed over to Scotland to study with John Webster because Mike Horton, uh, I was his uh, teaching assistant and his uh, research assistant, and I asked him, I was like, who is the best living English-speaking theologian at a university to go study with? And without hesitation, oh, he yeah, said John, John Webster. Webster. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, um, and At least when he was alive, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and so actually a number of folks I ended up working with in Aberdeen had asked other folks like Kevin Van Hooser mm -hmm. and they, without hesitation said the same thing. And so that was amazing to go to work with John. It was a huge yeah. privilege. Yeah. Um, I didn't, you know, sadly, I didn't know that I was going to be one of the last rounds of students to, to work with John. Um, but, um, yeah, the, the, 
you know, I can really like in the way I think and the way I speak, I can really see a lot of the emphases and uh, values that I learned out at WSC coming through. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's been fascinating that even when I'm talking to people who have a negative um, association with Westminster uh, out in California, it's usually on something that I agree with them on and that I heard and I, or I learned out at WSC. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's been an interesting journey, you know, being kind of an ambassador for, Hey, let's not um, stereotype and pigeonhole these schools. And it's also over the years, it's made me realize that I shouldn't do the same thing about any other school either. Yeah. Um, so uh, it helped that out of that same college group, we had, I think it was six different guys go to six various seminaries mm. all out of my graduating class because our that college ministry was so mm. uh, fruitful at that at that time and so yeah. um so then I, I kept up with those folks and they all had different you know slightly different but mostly similar experiences and mm. it kind of undermined all those you know those little boxes we like to stick <laughs> each other in to make it easier to feel better about ourselves or to think we have things in our back pocket are you, you saying know? seminaries are tribal sometimes I'm just saying we like to over understand things. Yeah. Yeah. Which ties into our topic. This is this is true. And before before we get into it, maybe just a um kind of zero on it a little bit more. What was your what was your experience and especially within the HT program? Like because we've had a lot of MDiv guys, we've had one or two HT guys come up. What was your experience in the HT program? Because some who are going to seminary don't know the difference between an HT degree and an MDiv degree. So what was that like mm-hmm. for you? Well, so there are a couple of uh, things that were really interesting and distinctive about the HT degree. One of them is a really practical uh, consideration for anyone who's looking to go for to further school. Yeah. If you're looking to go get a PhD somewhere, especially if you're thinking about going overseas, mm-hmm. uh, one of one thing I don't think people often realize is that getting an MAHT with a thesis component means that when you show up for your PhD in a school like Aberdeen, there's zero classes to take, zero tests to take. Mm-hmm. There's no grading. There's no nothing but your thesis, your, mm-hmm. you know, your PhD thesis. And so um, it your master's component, the first two years of a five-year program that's typical in the United States, they will take that MAHT as the equivalent of your first two years because you had the you know it was a theology degree with a writing component yeah and so that's one big practical you know i was like okay that's a three-year phd instead of a five-year phd that's a big deal um especially to my wife and uh (laughs) exactly (laughs) less time the better you know and she you know bless her she's amazing but i had i this is something you know this is off topic but i had a a wonderful time. It was like being on, you know, Mount Zion at seminary. I'm learning all these things about the Bible and about God and, you know, just growing a lot. And, uh, and she's commuting back and forth to San Diego in a car without air conditioning every year to put me through or every day, you know, to put me through school. Mm -hmm. And so it was a really difficult time for her, even Mm -hmm. as it was a really great time for me. And so I wanted to be super sensitive to put how much I put her through. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, um, it was partly practical like that. Yep. It was also, uh, one of the 
other things I appreciated was it has a view toward teaching and writing. Hmm. So I think that there's, you know, there's lots of ways you can teach, but when you're thinking specifically about honing in on being able to connect the dots for other people, right? That's, I think that's a, a massively transferable skill. Like if you, if you're focusing on, and I, and I think it's uh, thinking theologically is the tagline for modern reformation. Yeah. And that's, I think the best way to encapsulate it. If you're focusing on cultivating the art and skill of theological reasoning, mm -hmm. then you're in a better position by the grace of God, you know, to whether at a high level or at a level with your, with your kids. Like I was mm -hmm. talking the other night about predestination and free will with some, with the kids that were over here visiting from some old friends. Mm. And it was a completely different level of conversation that we're going to have today, mm -hmm. but it's the same sort of, it's the same skill and the same mm -hmm. sort of biblical thinking that you have to exercise in order to talk to the kids. So you have to talk to anyone else. Yeah. And it's the same thing you have to do in your own heart when you're trying to check yourself or say like, Oh, maybe, maybe I'm wrong or, or, <laughs> you know, what is the spirit saying through the word, you know, to, to me as, you know, a member of his church. And so, um, the specific skills in the MAHT are actually really transferable to not just going and doing PhD research, but to everyday life or parenting or, you know, realizing all the ways I fall short as a husband and what I could do differently or, you know, what have you. Yeah. That's awesome. We also got to do some fun things like, um, write our own confession of faith. Yep. Or... Yep. Or, um, we did that in Dr. Clark's class for the confessions. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, so which is a lot harder than you think. I think you look at is. all these, you look at all these churches that have their, like their own statement of faith and it, it looks kind of easy. And then you write your own. It's like, oh my gosh, this is really how much worth this was. Exactly. Yeah. So getting into the, the topic here, it's kind of a double layered topic. There's free will and predestination. So if, if it's not hard enough, you gotta have two of them. <laughs> so, uh, like with this season, I really base a lot of my questions off of the confessions and catechisms that us reformed people really uh, hold near and dear to our hearts. And so, my first question uh, is looking at the Belgic Confession, Article Fourteen. Okay. So according to the Belgic Confession, Article 14, the creation and fall of man, God made our first parents not in original sin originally, uh, but able to sin. So this was pre-fall. So they were not born into original sin like you and I are post-fall, but they were still able to sin, Adam and Eve. Uh, they were sinless before the fall, still able to choose sin. So this is how a skeptic... Uh, or just an honest question would reply is if God knew all this would happen before it did in eternity past, which, you know, predestination, but provided free will pre-fall to Adam and Eve, but knowing uh, and able to allow them to fall to sin, how is that still free will? So you're, First question, easy question. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is the beginning of the softballs. Okay, I <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I come right in with the heater or a splitter. <laughs> a Shohei Otani '97 splitter, right yeah, down to the bottom right of the strike zone. So, can you hit it? So I don't remember his name. This is one one thing I'll I'll start with. I don't remember the name of this 
speaker at a conference, but he quoted this old Puritan author who said, hey, don't blame Adam for falling into sin because you would have fallen sooner. <laughs> yeah. And and I love that I love that as part of a response because um it it kind of gets us to to look at the fact that we're always trying to put God on the hook and always take ourselves off the hook. Hmm. You know, like, oh, why did you know come on Adam like you should have killed the snake you know just us together yeah you had one you had one job you didn't do it and and the the whole notion of you would have fallen sooner is not an objective statement like who knows right that's that's not the point of the statement the point of the statement is look at your own heart and ask yourself if um if there's anybody forcing you to you know uh, want what is evil, even when you know that it's bad, right? Or if there's anybody, uh, you know, like, but your own sin keeping you back from doing that thing, you know, that's right, but you're scared of, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, it's it's this it's this way of saying, stop trying to put responsibility for your own sinfulness <laughs> onto anyone else, including, you know, ultimately, we try, that's what we we try to do with God. And I think that um, that's part of an answer is that whenever we try to stand in judgment over God, then the one thing that isn't being judged is our own judgment. Which is precisely what Adam does when he's he's confronted by God is, well, the woman you gave me, she's the one who made me do this. What did the what did the devil say to tempt completely sinless human beings? He said, did God really say, Mm -hmm. right? He said, I want you to question God's words, but that wasn't really the point, is it? The point is, I want, I want you to question God's character, Mm -hmm. right? Is he, is he holding out on you? Like, is there something that he knows or he's even worried about or afraid of that he's not telling you? You know, what's wrong with it? What, how come this, you know, it's questioning God's character, mm-hmm. right? It's saying, what if God's not really who he says he is? What if he's not as good as, as he, as you think he is? And so that, that is even a successful temptation for like completely sinless human beings. And so imagine how much, I mean, it's like incredible how much of a temptation is for us. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that the first thing to say, just like, you know, from a kind of a pastoral angle, if you will, is like, let's look at our own hearts and our own tendency to always want to put ourselves in the judgment seat and our t- tremendous temptability to, to distrust God. Mm-hmm. And then, so the, and then the, in, in that sort of humility, like epistemic humility, you know, the humility of what we can know and how we know it. I would also say, just let's, we as Christians, we need to own the fact that there is a paradox at the heart of every single important thing that Christians believe. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you ask questions like this, you're like, so is God one or is he three? <laughs> yeah. You know? So yeah. is, you know, is uh is Jesus God or is he is he a man? Or you know, is he one person? You know? Um, is creation good? Or is it, or is it, you know, uh, divine or is it evil? 
You know what I mean? Like there's all like, is God fully sovereign or are we responsible creatures? I mean, you could just go down the line of the creed basically, mm -hmm. and you can look at each, you know, are we justified or are we sinful? <laughs> you know, and it, it's like at the heart of every key doctrine of the Christian faith, anything that really matters, there's this mystery. And um, and uh, Scott Oliphant talks about this in The Majesty of Mystery. Mm -hmm. uh, he said, like, the you know, our ten our temptation, our tendency is always to either say, oh, it's a mystery, so it must not be relevant or important so we can get rid of it. Hmm. Or, oh, it's a problem that needs to be solved you know, we need to get rid of this mystery, right? And what we're really supposed to do is say, oh, wow, I'm dealing with the things of God Almighty here. <laughs> you know, of course, I can't wrap my mind around God, you know, but I should trust him that what he says is true and good for me. And ultimately, it should lead me to worship, hmm. right? To not reject or to solve, but to worship. And so I would say this mystery of the relationship between God's sovereignty, which ultimately is what predestination is a, a part of, right? Mm -hmm. And human responsibility, which is ultimately sin and, you know, and free will are a part of the, 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 the mystery of the, how those two things hold together is something that we receive by faith and that should lead us to worship. And so whether we're rejecting it as a problem to solve, that's a problem, right? And that's, you know, that's some of the problem that happens or whether we're just saying, well, you know, I receive it in such a way that does not lead to worship. It's just as much of a problem. Um, and so I think, you know, that's how I would frame the question hmm. um, is to, to say the thing we should be wrestling with is not how to solve the problem, you know, we all know that it matters because we're having, we're talking about it in this episode. Mm -hmm. So the danger is to then solve the problem instead <laughs> of to embrace the mystery by faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's a, that's a good segue both to a comment and a question. It's as Christians, we can malign rightfully or wrongfully, I guess, kind of enlightenment ideals, kind of late 18th century kind of rationalist doctrine we're like oh we can't go that because that's naturalistic and we don't believe that stuff and then we come right around and kind of do the same thing with some of the stuff that we believe it's like no, no no i have to have an answer for this if i don't have an answer that i can't move on with my life and instead of like mm -hmm. you're saying it's this is something <clears throat> it may not make sense to our finite brains but that's kind of the point is that it doesn't make sense to our doesn't mean we can't know something truly but we're not going to know it clearly and fully as much as as much as we might want to know which goes into this question that's and and Nick's talked about this and we'll, we'll keep on talking about this too but it's it's kind of it's kind of where the reformed and calvinists get a get a bad name where it's um we're known as the the free will deniers those who say mm -hmm. um no we have we have no agency and you're just a sinner and you can't do anything else and so we wonder like well why does everybody tell us that we like we have no doctrine of, of free will it's because you never talk about it um but we're, we're effectively we, we can talk even though we i guess officially don't believe this but we can talk as if free will doesn't exist and we're just automatons um and those skeptical of reformed theology or calvinism in particular they they then kind of go to the other spectrum it's like oh we're just free will there's nothing and like you said there's it's not just kind of two ends of the spectrum so 
similar to Nick's last question in general, and you, you, you kind of talked, how has free will been misunderstood? And we'll say, we know there's not just two sides, but maybe both sides of the continuum, those who deny it completely. And it, that's all that exists. Yeah. So the Bible very clearly and emphatically claims that, you know, both in specific passages and in its whole scope that God is sovereign and he mm -hmm. has no rival mm -hmm. that he's the one who's purposed all things from eternity past. And there's not some sort of rival entity, human no. or divine, you know, even the devil himself, there's not some rival entity to God in his purposes and in his, um, you know, upholding of all things toward their appointed ends. Yeah. We have the problem of evil and the problem of the fall because God is sovereign and has you know purposed all things that's exactly. otherwise we wouldn't have the problem to talk about no there'd be nothing the to time, subject it against yeah yeah absolutely at the same time the bible clearly and emphatically teaches right in specific passages and as a whole scope of its story that we are responsible human beings made in god's image right that make choices that have consequences that are and, and are held responsible for those choices that we make mm -hmm. that, you know, both in horizontal terms, like with other people, you know, um, and, uh, and sort of legacy down the generations and also before God. And so we can't, you know, like all those other paradoxes in, uh, in the faith, our job is not to choose one over the other, <laughs> you know, of those biblical truths or to, explain them in such a way that one of them really gets sort of like it kind of goes away yeah. it dissolves into the other one yep. right um it's like our christology right like without confusion mm -hmm. separation you know divorce mingling you know it, it's like we have to affirm both god's sovereignty over all things uh in large at large and writ small even the sparrows and the hairs of our heads or our beards <laughs> and and our responsible agency as people with dignity and real choices that really matter. And so the the to get to like how is free will misunderstood, it's misunderstood in both directions. Mm -hmm. It can be misunderstood as an illusion. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when you hear like I've heard uh, people who are trying to defend Calvinism yep. make this move where they're like, you know, calling free will into question at all and she's like well there's lots of things in your life that you didn't choose <laughs> yeah. you know you didn't or you think you, you have free will but yeah. really you yeah. don't you didn't choose where you'd be born you didn't choose your genes you didn't choose you know lots of things and so maybe you don't have as free free will as you think you know as, <laughs> yeah. as much as you think you do right and yeah. it sort of take yeah. keep it bring it basically calls into question <clears throat> the it, you know it's like virtually you know mm -hmm. and then on the other hand you have folks who describe free will as if it is a rival power to god yeah and so both of those things the problem with both of those is that they're sacrificing some of the biblical testimony on the altar of the other biblical testimony mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and what a consistent calvinism which is the same as you know aquinas or mm -hmm. a lot of other you know strong augustine all those guys yeah yeah what a what a consistently, you know, uh, I would say the the majority view through a lot of really solid, you know, Christian theologians throughout history has been that 
we say yes to both. Mm -hmm. It's both true that God is fully sovereign and that I am a responsible human creature and I have as much freedom as a dependent creature who is inherently sinful can have, <laughs> you know, yeah. that I have all of that creaturely sinful freedom, right? And I'm, and I, I'm freely choosing to sin, you know, I'm freely choosing what I think is good, even though, even if it's not, or if it's for selfish purposes, I'm actually choosing, I'm not a puppet on strings. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I don't have the freedom to choose something that I hate, mm -hmm. right? With all my, my, you know, like to submit to God, right? Yeah, kind of like an Edwards, like Edwardsian yeah. desire kind of thing. And so there's, there's lots of things that are, you know, that arbitrary notion of freedom is just, is sort of like where you get to, uh, you know, you go beyond what the biblical witness says. Again, you're trying to uphold human dignity and responsibility at the expense of other things that the Bible says about the, you know, the corruption of sin or the rebelliousness of the human heart mm -hmm. or God's uh, sovereign uh, control and purposes. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. As you probably know, we talk a lot about Westminster Seminary, California on here. I can't even begin to tell you the impact this institution has had on my faith, my family, and the ministry the Lord has entrusted me with. If you feel called to serve the church and want the most rigorous training for gospel ministry around, consider coming to Westminster Seminary, California, a confessionally reformed institution in sunny San Diego that offers master's degrees in biblical and theological studies, historical theology, and divinity. Westminster's approach to ministry education emphasizes a mastery of the original biblical languages, maintaining a small student-to-professor ratio, a laser focus on face-to-face -face education coupled with an understanding of the importance of having pastor scholars with decades of ministry experience train the next generation of servant leaders for the Church of Jesus Christ. If this interests you, and I hope it does, Call Westminster today at 888-480-8474 to talk to admissions counselor or visit www.wscal.edu. Again, call Westminster Seminary California today at 888-480-8474 or log on to www.wscal.edu, which will all be available in our show notes. Westminster Seminary, California, for Christ, his gospel, and his church. So talking about another three form of unity confession that helps us understand biblically how free will works would be um, addressing this time the canons of Dort. And so the third and fourth main points of doctrine, human corruption, conversion to uh, God and the way it occurs— uh, so there's the section on rejection of the heirs, sections uh, two, three, four, and nine. So uh, just kind of looking at the reason why the canons of Dort addressed this and responded to some uh, some errors that were floating out there. Uh, why was the why did the canons of Dort uh, address this? Who is it responsible? Who is it responding to? And why? 
was free will a doctrine that it felt like it needed to address? So Dort is interesting because, um, well, it's interesting for several reasons, but um, it's partly interesting, I would say, and this gets at the the various motives for why the Arminians mm -hmm. protested in the first place, you know, the, the, the standard reform teaching. Yep. Um, but Dort is partly interesting because it was, there's actually a, a spectrum of, you know, kind of orthodox reformed viewpoints on the yeah. topics at, at play in yep. Dort. Yep. And, um, you know, I'm thinking particularly on questions of like the sufficiency and efficiency of, you know, the extent of the I atonement was about to say, and things like, like that. Hypothetically, universalism was part of it. Yeah. yeah. So, so part of the, that's answering the question in an interesting way is how come you have that, that kind of variety among what we usually think of as Dort is very specifically delineated. You know, this is the only acceptable position, you know, the sort of definite or limited atonement view that we're all yeah. most used to. But they had well, a ton of delegates. So of course there's somewhat yeah. of a wide variety of views. Yeah. So how come those things were okay, but the, but the Armenian position wasn't, yeah. you know, and that kind of gives us an insight into why the Armenian position wasn't, you know, was beyond the pale for these, yeah. for these folks. And, um, and when it comes to the atonement in, in relation to, um, to these questions, the Armenians were really concerned that the, the sort of the strong predestination approach, right, was um, undermining evangelism. Mm -hmm. And it was also, uh, even behind that, even further behind that, it was making God into someone who is much more interested in delighting and damning people than he was in saving people. Mm. And so their, their concern is a fundamentally biblical and Christian concern, mm -hmm. you know, on it's their not a wrong side. concern that they came yeah. up to at all. Yeah. If, if it seems like you know, the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ is a little, little too much like Allah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's this, uh, a friend of mine was talking to me about, um, I haven't looked at this directly, so I hope this is you know, not wrong uh, or incorrect, inaccurate, yeah. but he was talking about how there's a tradition in Islam where on the last day, um, uh, Allah will say to the, the righteous and to the wicked, you I admit into my heaven and I care not. You I send to hell and I care not. Hmm. And even if, like I said, I don't know if that's apocryphal or not, but that, that whole idea of the arbitrariness, hmm. right? It's just who who's saved, who's who's condemned, you know, who who gets in, who gets out. Like he it's sends like people to hell, arbitrary. but there's, there's no like there's no real yeah. for lack of a better word, like emotional basis for that. There's no, yeah. I'm not he, saying God he, has emotions, but yeah, he's not he's, like sending them. It's like, okay, I don't care about yeah. you. He's at best indifferent. Yeah. And he's at worst sadistic. Kind of happy about it. Yeah. He's like, ooh, I love this. You know, I love, I love, uh, you know, this is what I wanted. Yeah. Right. I really wanted to crush you guys, you know. Um, and it makes God seem like, you know, the the kid with serious issues, you know, like, burning ants with the magnifying glass just for the short thrill of killing something. Yeah. You're describing my childhood, unfortunately. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, we can talk about that later. <laughs> so um yeah, no, I was the same I, I was the same way. But the the that is that's repulsive. 
you know, think about like our heavenly father in that way, you know? And so, um, so the Arminians, you know, partly for like, when you think about what are God's intentions in salvation, right? And if they think that the, the, the typical reformed stance at least of their time was, you know, God is really pretty reluctant of a savior. You know, it's almost like, it's like a oh, good thing. Jesus stepped in the way or man, I would have just smashed. And that, and often people in our own heart, like we feel that way sometimes, like, you know, like, man, is this, is God like secretly so disappointed in me, you know, that like he would like smash me if Jesus got out of the way, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, but you know, it's a good thing Jesus is covering me with his righteousness because the father wants to just knock me one. You know what (laughs) I mean? We, we already, you know, as sinners who struggle with guilt and grace, (laughs) you know, (laughs) we're already like, like that anyway. And so that's not a problem for us. If you're preaching that that's what God is actually like, that's a problem. That's a huge, which is so often what predestination is kind of preached. Like, yes, it's God, like kind of had to do this because Jesus came in and paid for you. But like, man, if he really wanted to, because you're wretched sinners, like he really wanted to strike you. Yeah, I've had I've heard uh, examples given where like somebody would like you know have a hammer or or a stick or a bat or something, and they like smash something on a stool, like you know, and during a sermon in front of everyone, and then they put like a cover over it, and then they smash, and then the fruit doesn't get smashed, and you're like, that's Jesus in your place, you know, <laughs> in the wrath of God, and it's just yeah. like, wow, you're really, but the thing that you don't realize you're saying is that you're making God come across as somebody who's like really trying to smash us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you're pitting the son against the father. Which, you know? yeah, and then we can get, this is not for this episode, but we can get into yeah. other episodes where, like, wrath is not an attribute of God. It is a response to sin. It's not who God is in and of himself. It is a response to sinners. Well, and the whole point of Dort, no matter where you were on the reform spectrum between uh, hypothetical universalism and, you know, uh, particular atonement, right? The whole point of the reformed side was to say there you cannot make space in intention between the father and the son and the spirit yep you cannot divorce the intentions happening between the persons of the trinity and salvation yeah and so even the hypothetical universalist that said there's a sense in which jesus died for all humanity right they would they would never say jesus intended to ultimately save anyone but the elect right and so there's no salvific space between the persons of the Trinity. And that was um, the, uh, the Arminians had a similar burden, right? But for them, they said, they said, okay, we don't want to make the space, you know, when we make the father seem like a tyrant and the son is like, oh man, good thing we had a, you know, uh, you know, Jesus nice to, one. just to yeah. step in and take it on yeah. the chin for us. Um, but instead, what they did is they made the they made the disconnect somewhere else. And so that's the second thing I would say about. So it's not only that you know the atonement uh, and you know the basis for evangelism, you know, preach the gospel and all the things that are related to that, but it's then the question that really Dort's uh, response to the errors. Uh, makes very clear. I was just looking at, um, you guys familiar with Kevin DeYoung's Grace yep. Defined and Defended? Yep. He's, yeah, he's kind of kind of doing like a commentary on the Canada Dort. On that, yeah. In that. Yep. And so I was just looking at, um, at uh, 
at the rejection of false accusations, which he includes in Appendix 2. Yeah. Just kind of, you know, refreshing for yep. this, uh, preparing for this episode. And it struck me again how much the uh, the delegates at Dort were uh, focused on assurance. Mm-hmm. The the problem ultimately the problem they had you might say like mm-hmm. with, uh, with Arminianism was one of assurance. Oh yeah, that, oh, big time. That Armin yep. that they felt they were worried that the Arminians by saying Jesus died to make salvation possible for everyone, but not yeah. to actually secure it for anyone. Um, that you were robbing people of assurance mm-hmm. by work by trying to solve the problem of of God's sovereignty and human responsibility, mm-hmm. and so. Um, you know, a, a sort of, um, a, a really pastoral motive. I think that's like, and again, whenever, if, if we're, you know, folks committed to predestination as biblical, but we have some other than a pastoral motive for it, you know, that this is for your assurance, you know, I know whom I've believed and I'm, I'm convinced that, you know, he's able to keep, you know, that which I've committed to him, you know, like that kind of like, I know that, you know, I'm in Jesus hand and that, you know, nobody can take his sheep, you know, I like that assurance is, is, it should be the goal, not, um, I'm doctrinally accurate and you're not, or, you know, (laughs) any of those other motives that we often have, um, for those, for those questions, you know, to answer, ask those questions. Yeah. That's that's an extremely important point. Um, yeah, that's. I, I think those who kind of first find the reform camp, the Calvinistic camp, rightfully so, they're they're very concerned about these doctrines, and and as are we, but they will turn it more into a, um, that like the almost the same thing that the reformed are worried about that the assurance thing of the Armenians rush were worried about as well, that they preach, the they 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 at times it can sound like the father's intentions are different than, than the son's intentions. And that's where you get this worry. Like, am I, am I one of those elect? Am I saved? Am mm-hmm. I, am I part of this? Mm-hmm. Um, versus like you said, their intention, their, the Kansdor intention was not to question your salvation, but was the ground, your salvation and the agreement between the father and the son that had no disunity. And so you can have perfect assurance because the father and the son agreed like yeah. what like you were going to be saved. And even though Dort explicitly rejected the Arminian uh positions uh on these topics, there were also reformed, you know, Orthodox reformed delegates mm-hmm. at Dort who were so committed to, you know, they were like hyper Calvinists, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That uh they said, you know, they they would argue certain things like um you cannot say Jesus died for me yep. unless you can show clear, consistent fruits that the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart. Yeah. You know, and et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, it's so, um, so extrospective to introspective. Yes. And, and I think Dort's emphasis on assurance is a quiet self critique of those sort of elements within the reformed camp that have gone way too far in treating this, you know, as this sort of like thing that should actually undermine assurance. 
you know, yeah. well, how do I know if I'm elect, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, if you're undermining insurance, you're also not understanding this accurately. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And <clears throat> I said, I wouldn't do this, but I can't help myself. Just one side of me and do one side. Cause this, this was, I told Nick a... before the episode, he's, he's going to eat his words. Cause he said yeah. he wasn't going to do this, but he doesn't. I can't help myself. It'd be the only how, time. How well do I know Nick questions. after three years of doing yeah. this? Well, no, because you brought up something that was pivotal for me really getting into this uh, more reformed understanding of this stuff um, based on assurance. So, you know, a few years ago, I would think of Christ saving me that I was drowning and he handed it out his hand to grab me out of the water while I was drowning. And I would simultaneously grab his hand and he would pull me out. Mm -hmm. But no, actually, that's incorrect. I was totally dead. I drowned. I was dead. He he went in the water, grabbed me without me doing anything and pulled me out of the water and saved me. Not even so, with you doing nothing. You say, no, God, I'm good. I, I don't even. Yeah. Even if he did hand it. out his hand and I could receive it, I wouldn't want it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he, without me, I w- I'm completely dead. I'm not able to, um, hand out my hand and gr- grab his offering with open hand. He, Here's salvation. If you want it. Oh, okay. I'll take it. No, he's like, no, you're mine. I don't care if you're running away from you. I'm grabbing you and saving you. That gives me assurance and he redeemed you know the reason that you want him to save you is the result of his working to save you in the first place yeah now you have the desire to be saved now that he's given you that desire to be saved because he doesn't he doesn't say he doesn't accomplish redemption for you without applying redemption to you you're, you're and, dead in your sins. Yep. And um and so this this brings up another I think really important thing for just those of us who are wrestling with how to talk about or think about these issues. Yeah. Is that it's a constant danger uh of we're we're like our our thinking and even theologically, right? We're, we're so we're so modern, right? We're so secular. <laughs> and you know, and it's just the air we breathe in. It's like I remember having a a debate with an atheist at some point, you know, years ago. And in the middle of this debate, I remember it occurred to me, I'm arguing as if I don't win this debate, then God doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, and, and it just struck me. I was like, if he wins or if I win, or if it's a draw, you know, like the father and the son and the Holy spirit will go on enjoying one another in perfect (laughs) bliss. Yeah. As they have for all eternity. They're not going to be like, oh man, Brandon lost. Let's go pack our bags. Reality does not depend on your articulation or understanding of it. And if we argue for Calvinism as if Calvinism's truth depends on my understanding or or the person we're talking to's understanding of it, then we've already lost. Yeah. Like if, well, let me put it this way. If Calvinism is true, then an Arminian who's a Christian is a Calvinist, mm-hmm. whether they know it or not, whether they would articulate it that way or not. They don't have to assent to Calvinism to, to if, do this. If, you know, if, the, if God is Trinity, right, then it doesn't matter how well I articulate that. If, the, if I'm a Christian, that means I belong to my heavenly father because of his only son, right, and his Holy Spirit living in within me to bring me to the father through the son, but I'm not an idolater who worships three gods or who is, 
you know, who is betraying my heavenly father by, you know, trusting his son and, you know, and so on. Like the point is reality just is what it is. Objective and, truth and so we don't have to be defensive. Yeah. We don't have to like be, you know, have this inferiority complex that unless <clears throat> Unless, you know, I articulate it perfectly and then you become, you know, just as convinced of these, this vocabulary and these ways of thinking, you know, that the world falls apart. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, that person who's an Arminian is going to continue articulating their actual Christian faith in a way that is less than adequately biblical. And it can lead to all kinds of problems with assurance and stuff like that. Yeah. But if they really are a Christian, then they really do believe <laughs> the things that are true, even yeah. if they would articulate it poorly. Yeah. And so I think to me, that's freeing, mm -hmm. you know, to say, look, um, I don't have to convince you that free will is an illusion, right? What I need to do is convince you that God is so good that he frees us to love him freely, mm -hmm. you know? And then we look back and, you know, just like the, that old hymn, like I sought the Lord afterward, I knew to see him seeking me right? Mm -hmm. The whole reason that you reach out your hand to grab Jesus when you're drowning is because he's opened your eyes to see that you're drowning and he's <laughs> yeah. opened your, you know, yeah. your heart to be willing to stop drowning because really you realize like the drowning, like I'm drowning in my own, you know, desserts. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and I, you know, if it was up to me, I would just like swim deeper and then just, mm -hmm. you know, just shake my fist at the Lord for not giving me enough air. Yeah. You know? And so like that reflective act, right. Is, is hard to do when you think that the other person who's really defensive and really sort of ha feels like, you know, is beating me over the head. Um, it's really hard to make that vulnerable reflective act like that when it feels like you're being attacked by the other person who is advocating Allah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna lead into this question with kind of a, a comment. Uh, and it's a little bit, um, just kind of how, how Nick described the question. Because I think it's if you can go far enough, it's how a lot of Calvinists describe it, where God takes us kicking and screaming into His kingdom, which is not what He does. God brings those who want to come to His kingdom because He's given them the desire to come into His kingdom, which. That's not how it's generally described. I think a lot of Calvinists can kind of describe it as like you're kicking and screaming with God, which we wonder why people wonder what our doctrine of free will is if if that's how we tend to describe this stuff. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch this in a different way than I think it normally gets pitched. It's for Calvinists out there who struggle with the doctrine of free will. Can you can you point us or uh, there may not be kind of explicit, okay, this is the doctrine of free will within scripture, but where where do we find like for lack of a better way, how, how can we find that? Like we actually have volition mm -hmm. um, that is, that is true. Yes. Under God's sovereign will, but we actually have volition. I don't think we can make any heads or tails. If we don't say that we have volition, I don't think we can make any heads or tails over lots of things that the Bible says without mm -hmm. telling people inadvertently we don't do this on purpose without telling people to think about god's word in the way that the devil tempted adam and eve did god really say you know we you know you know all doesn't mean all you know or things like that like <laughs> yeah. we we so yeah. we too easily say things like that and yeah. try to get away from the mystery right because we're teaching people to question instead of trust god's word 
yeah. right? And we don't want to be naive, but we also don't want to be doubtful, right? And so if anything looks like something that I don't already understand and I go, oh, it must not mean that, you know, it must not be what, you know, like God doesn't really desire that, you know, like, you know, it doesn't really, even though the Bible says God desires you know, all the, the, the salvation of yeah. the, of the, of all doesn't men, delight in the destruction of the wicked. He, We're like, Oh, that's really not really does true. actually delight in the destruction. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. like we, we too easily try to yeah. sacrifice certain Bible passages to other more favored Bible passages. And that's the same problem that we, that the Arminians, you know, fall into. Yeah. And so we can't fall into that problem. We have to say, no, the truth is both. And so the Bible has all kinds of calls to choose to this day whom you will serve or has all kinds of, you know, uh, I mean, goodness uh, gracious. Think about like Judgment Day. Is Judgment Day just, you know, kabuki theater, right? Where God is like pretending to judge based on, you know, what you have done, you know, every word you've spoken and every act you've performed. No, what we say is it's simultaneously that and for those of us who are in Jesus saying every act that Jesus has done, you know, every word that he's spoken, that belongs to me, mm -hmm. right? That's that's my that's what I cling to. That's my hope. You know what I mean? But it doesn't pretend, but it's not like, oh, you know, none of that matters. It was Jesus. It wasn't you. You know, it was like, no, it's simultaneous. Like, that's the mystery of the gospel is like, yeah, because it was Jesus, it, mine. it was me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I and didn't then, perform it, but it's mine. And then for the unbel unbelievers, God's not going to be like, none of that mattered anyway. That was all just that wasn't you what you did. That was all just stuff that I was doing so that I could kill you. Yeah. You know, and like we have to hold both. We have to hold like we're actually, you know, God is actually good and just, you know, and judgment day is something to celebrate because it's the, the making of all things, right. Not another example of how God has, you know, made everything that he wanted to go wrong. Right. Yeah. And we have to say that those people were, um, you know, were uh, responsible decision makers in the way that they, you know, that went about their lives. Um, they were sinned against and they sinned and God is not going to be unjust in judging anyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's <laughs> like you said, we need to stop saying free will is an illusion that you think you have free will, but really you're just doing all this stuff that, that, of course, God, God is ordained, but we, mm. yeah, we pit that against somebody else's free will and we can come across as if like, well, actually you are a robot and you can't do anything mm -hmm. on your own. Mm -hmm. that's, that's good. Yeah. And, and we are not, uh, when we're doing that, we're actually being less sensitive to the, to the real world implications for real people than the people who are, you know, who we're disagreeing with. Yeah, totally. Um, because they, you know, like regular people, like they just need to be able to look at their Bible, you know, <laughs> and not have to rely on, well, I, you know, I, I memorized this stuff about concursus or whatever. Like we have to be able to, you know, actually communicate to real people. It's like, no, like <clears throat> you're making your choices, but God is the one who, you know, you live and move and have your being in God. Like God is actually the foundation for your choices too, you know, because you're a creature. 
Yeah. And so, you know, like you have to both be a creature and go about your creaturely things and also trust that the, that the Lord is the one who gives you every breath and gives you every moment. You receive it from him and you're called to give it back to him, you know, give that gift back to him for safekeeping because you don't hold it anymore. You yep. know, I mean, this is part of being a creature, not just a sinner, right? But a creature. Totally. Quick little plug for our own podcast here. If you are an individual and you want to help donate for this work, you can go to our show notes, to our Patreon page, as well as our Spotify donations page. If you want to make a recurring donations, they're either $15 or $20 a month or a single donation. You can also do that as well. Those really help us on the back end to give to this work, to keep up our website, to make sure we can pay those who help with our editing, with our software, with our merchandising, all, all those good things. If you're a potential sponsor and you want to sponsor us and, and fill out one of our ads, you can email us at guiltgracepod at gmail.com and we can talk through some of the options that we have. And we would love to work with both individuals and publishers, institutions, seminaries, whoever it may be, as we all work towards our mission of bridging the gap to reform Christian theology. Yep. Help expand our work and be a bridge builder. That goes into my next question really well because it's kind of addressing the creator-creature distinction, uh, helping us understand free will. So Westminster Confession of Faith 9 talks about free will, and it has five points in kind of a in a salvitic chronological order that goes from pre-fall man to being a slave to sin post-fall, then to when God converts a sinner with grace while the person still sins, uh, and then they are, but while they're not a slave to sin anymore or defined by anymore, because we go from being in Adam to mm -hmm. in Christ, uh, we can see this confession clearly that we aren't in charge, right? Luckily, God's in charge. It's his grace. So God is in, in charge every step of the way. So I think like this question is based on, okay, we're looking at free will. But if we take a step back, I think it's helpful to understand maybe the doctrine of God and who he is ontologically, because we know he exists out of outside of space and time because he created space and time and he's all knowing. So if we kind of if we understand the doctrine of God and study that and then we go into free will and predestination, things start to make maybe a little bit more sense. Um, and because if we don't do that and we humanize God and he thinks that. And we think that he's kind of going along as it comes and being ignorant to the future and being like, oh, I created creation. Oops, it messed up. I got to fix it. And uh, so how, in other words, how does the creator creature distinction and understanding the doctrine of God help us with the doctrine of free will? Yeah, I think that um, that five part thing, again, is like many other things. I think it comes originally from Augustine. Mm -hmm. um, there's a cool Latin sort of way of saying them all. Um, but there you're right that the whole the whole classical theist, the classical doctrine of God, you know, kind of that whole tradition, you're going to have a very different conversation about these things mm -hmm. when you're within that tradition, as if you're, you know, kind of talking to someone that's standing outside of it. Um, like, you know, the classical Arminians were almost entirely, you know, just trying to stay as, as much as they could anyway, with inside that classical tradition. Mm -hmm. And so there's a sense in which 
the paradoxes or the mysteries of God's decree for like, how does, you know, how does evil come into the world or what, you know, why sin, you know, those kind of things. Um, who's, why is, who is saved and why a lot of those questions for the classical Arminian approach, you could kind of see them as just moving the paradox or the mystery back a couple steps, right? Because you could, you could always then say, well, then why did God ordain that? You know, or why did God set it up that way? Right. You're, you're just, you're not getting, you're not solving the mystery. You're just moving it back a little bit further into the, into the degree, if you will. Um, but a, but someone who's not committed to a classical doctrine of God is going to think more in terms of like, God is a bigger version of us mm. with more, with relatively more power, relatively more knowledge, relatively more uh, wisdom and so on. And so there has to be a way in which like God's, God's sovereignty and purposes kind of have to carve out space for mine. And that's when you run into a lot of problems with your doctrine of God and your doctrine of humanity, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're, you're basically saying the most consequential things in the universe, uh, uh, decisions rather, in the universe, apart from maybe, you know, what's going on with the angels, right? And, and all mm -hmm. that, like, mm -hmm. at least in our term, in our scope of things, the most consequential decisions in the universe are actually out of God's hands, hmm. you know? And so you start and you're like, okay, well, you've got, you know, billions of people who are determining their own response to like their eternal destiny. Right. And it's God's whole revealed purpose to save, you know? And you're like, so like, really you get to a point where you're, you've set God up for like mostly failure. And, and that's a, that's a very different paradigm than what even original Arminianism was trying to, to help to solve. Right. Um, cause there, you know, you've got God wringing his hands, hoping lots of people respond to Jesus, but there's nothing he can do about it, but keep trying to, to woo us. That's a, that's a, that's a very modern kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a whole history behind it we could talk about, but, um, but the really solid, you know, like a, a, a Charles Wesley or even, you know, Arminius himself, they would be much stronger oh, yeah. <laughs> on the doctrine of God. Than They're that. better than and, most Calvinists are. Yeah. I mean, honestly, and, or even most, most like, all, like, most like non, like you said, classical theistic Calvinists who are just kind of like caged AG and mm -hmm. just love the predestination and stuff. They're way better than them. Yeah. Or like someone like a Roger Olson. Yeah you know, or Grant Osborne, you know, someone who's an Arminian, but is very sort of also just very classical evangelical. Yep. And you're like, okay, well, you're more like a confessional Lutheran or an Anglican on these issues. And it's actually, you know, if you have to pick between that and Charles Finney, I mean, good grief. <laughs> yeah, you're going to pick with, those all day. Yeah. With, you know, Roger Olson instead yep. of Charles Finney. You know? Yeah. Um, but though, so I would say if you're talking to someone who's committed to a classical doctrine of God, that God is God and we're not, mm -hmm. and he's unchangeable and he's omniscient and omnipotent and so on. Mm -hmm. I think having the free will conversation is just a very different mm -hmm. kind of conversation. Hmm. And, um, and I would say most regular people who you're going to get into a, uh, you know, or like an average church goer, you're going to get sure. into a conversation with is 
probably dealing with some assumptions that are much more that kind of God is a bigger version of ourselves. Yeah. And that's when I think hmm. um, pushing back against the whole narrative of that's what God is like is actually a much more effective strategy of discipling hmm. that person than talking about free will. Hmm. Like, who? Do, what do you think God, you know, how, who is God and what's he doing in the world? Like, yeah. What's, you know, what's his goal? Like, what, what is, what's he up to? You know, just like started talking about some of these basic, like, let's look at what the Bible says about what the whole story of the world is about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so you see what I mean? Like, it's not even a conversation about free will at that point. Free will is sort of like a red herring. Yeah. That's a branch really. versus the root. It's yes. about, it's about who you think God is and who, when, who you think you are. <laughs> you yeah. Know? That's really good. So, yeah. We were definitely on the same page with that. That's exactly the answer I was looking for. And I, I think I was thinking about the question in the right way where we just, the doctrine of God is just so foundational. And so mm -hmm. this next question, my last question, um, you have actually, I'm pretty sure answered it, but I'm going to ask it in a different angle. And it is um, focusing on the doctrine of predestination. We've talked a lot about focusing on free will and, this is going to be more of a predestination question and pre people outside the reformed faith commonly and uh, box us Calvinists into the doctrine of doctrine of uh, predestination, you know, fellow Calvinists will do the same thing, but uh, we see this language of predestination come through a little bit more explicitly in the Westminster confession of faith three uh, of God's eternal degree sections. Um, uh three through eight and the language that uh reformed christians that pits a lot of reformed christians from our broadly evangelical brothers and sisters to sum it up it state, states that um some men and angels are predestined to uh everlasting life and others foreordained to everlasting death so this is the big paradoxical question right um does this seem fair? Why why would God create someone if their fate was ultimately decided that they won't won't be saved? You know, it takes our free will away because God predestined them to not be with them. So I mm -hmm. think you answered that earlier, but just that angle. This is when this is the the softest ball. Uh, this is the easiest question you're gonna answer all. Yeah. Why why is God not fair? Yeah. Um, so again, the, the place I want to go first with something like that is, um, do you want God to be fair to you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Are you looking for God to be fair to you? Yeah. You know, I would, I was talking about this in, uh, we were, I was going through, um, a Sunday school, uh, class a couple years ago, we were talking about uh, Romans five and Adam and and Jesus and the parallels, you know, federal headship, and it's like, and you know, it feels so unfair that because of the one unrighteous act of the one man, the many are made, you know, sinners. And then, as soon as you turn it around, you say, "Are you upset that because of the one righteous act of the one?" righteous man the many have been saved right are you really up are you just like up in arms against god 
that Jesus on your behalf is your salvation, you know, and that you're like, that's not fair, God, I should have to do it. I should have to do it for myself. You know, do we really want to say that? And, um, and so, you know, the first question I'd want to ask is like, again, let's check our hearts on this because every time the Bible gets anywhere close to this question of why did God set it up this way? You know, it's like, who are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't have you to. Know? And the closest, yeah, that's exactly where that's where Paul goes in Romans six. Yeah. Like, who are why, you? Oh, why are you even says, asking this question? Like, yeah. So, and the closest he get, he actually, but the, he, he says, who are you? But then he actually gets at the mystery of the, of the, of an answer, which is like, God's purposes are ultimately to display the the whole spectrum of his multicolored character, you know, of his multicolored wisdom. And um, and somehow that doesn't let us off the hook for being re- responsible for our own evil, mm-hmm. but that God is so unfathomably, incomprehensibly good that he can bring even more creaturely good out of you know, what is for us evil. And so, you know, can we wrap our heads around that? No, like we, but we can wrap our faith around that, you know, and we can wrap our assurance around that. Right. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when you say like, we don't, we shouldn't humanize God. The amazing thing is that God humanized himself. Mm -hmm. Right. God said, I'm going to be a man. You don't have to humanize me. You don't have to anthropomorphize me. Like I'm going to actually come to you and I'm going to be the guy, right? Who, where you get God, you know? And so when we, as soon as we start speculating, we're like, well, what about this or why this, you know, we're getting away from the only one Jesus who has the answers, you know, the only one in whom everything holds together, you know, that's where, that's the location in Jesus, you know, by faith is the location where all these, these things come together, right? All the answers reside. And so um, that's where I point people first is just like, let's get out of our own hearts and heads and get into Jesus, you know, for, for like, you know, before we even ask these questions or like how we know how to, you know, ask them. And then, um, and then the second thing I would say about about that is um we there's there's a lot of things the bible talks about that we wish it would explain or that seem obvious that that you're leaving a gaping hole here Mm -hmm. and and you know and it just doesn't Mm -hmm. you know i mean the the bible opens with like the first two people and they have two sons. One of them kills the other one. The uh, the one that kills the other one gets in trouble for it. And he's worried that he's going to be driven off and somebody's going to find him and kill him. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and gets married, you know, and like, there's lots of ways to, you know, say, well, here's an explanation for that, you know, but the, the, the thing I'm bringing up is the Bible never offers one, no. you know, and yeah. you're reading the story and it's not like people <clears throat> were, you know, it's not like people reading the Pentateuch or Neanderthals, you know, they're like people just like us, you know, they're just a couple thousand, you know, a few thousand years ago. And you're like, they're going to be thinking the same thing. They're like, wait, I thought these were the first people. Yeah. Where you know, all these where's, people come from? Who's going to hurt? <laughs> yeah. Who's going yeah. to kill Cain? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, who do you yeah. marry? Like, yeah. and, yeah. and the, the, there's all kinds of stuff like that in the Bible that the Bible just, you know, the Lord, for whatever reason is providence just does not go there, you know? And so um, he, 
you know, it's like he's he's like putting us in a position where we just have to trust him rather than our own judgment. But, yeah. And um, and ultimately that's that's you know his priority for us and not ours. Because that's right? so easy for us to do is trust him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm saying that very pri- sarcastically. It is this is really hard for yeah. us to do to just trust. Yeah, and my priority for my life, right, is to understand everything and be in control of everything and not have yeah. to have any suffering and not have to, you know, go through any mess or deal with other people, you know, like cramping my style or any of these number of things. And then we get upset at God for not having our priorities for our lives in view, you know, when his priority for our lives is, you know, to grow our faith and our hope and our love and to, you know, make us fruitful for, you know, blessing other people and bringing him glory and ultimately for our own good. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that there are a lot of these questions where you, at the end of the day, if you're trying to go anywhere beyond faith and worship, then the Lord studiously puts up these walls and he says, you need to trust me. Yeah. yeah. And that's, what's so amazing about God's response to Job. <laughs> where were you, where were you during uh creation? Yeah. It's like, wow. That we, that's, I, I think sometimes we'll like poo poo Job and say like, yeah, Job, where were you? Yeah. Job. And then we don't realize <laughs> that's like, us. that's, that's how we that's respond. <laughs> yeah. We, again, I think like you said, we don't realize just how tremendously modern we think Mm-hmm. And we tend to ask very different questions than people before us have asked, or even the Bible is asking us to ask. We try to bring stuff to the Bible is like, I don't think you want, I don't think you want to ask that question. Maybe you should ask this question. That's a little bit better. Yeah. Isn't it interesting how rarely you hear people wrestling with the existential question of why I'm so blessed? Yeah. <clears throat> like that stuff wow, doesn't like, sell. Like I'm, I'm not worried. Sell. I'm not worried that my kids are going to die of dysentery this month. You know, I'm not worried where my next meal is going to come from or whether somebody's going to, you know, a militia is going to come through my neighborhood and, and, you know, take all my property away and steal my wife and daughter, you know, like, I'm like, why am I so blessed? Like for the great majority of history, those are the existential fears of, you know, all kinds of people all the time, every day. And it's interesting that those people who are suffering so often in history are precisely the ones who want a sovereign God to actually rely on, right? Mm -hmm. Not a God who is a, you know, who is a divine co-sufferer, who is like, you know, like wringing his hands, but a God who behind all the hard stuff is infinite joy, right? Because that's the only thing that can give you hope when your life is it, it's terrible right and our lives are so good that we're sitting there questioning god's character yeah hmm. yeah so ending this kind of on a on a practical note and, and kind of a little a, a cheeky nod to uh to preaching predestination because my guess is as a majority of our audience um who are who are calvinist or calvinist leaning or calvinist friendly when they think of predestination, it's it's almost like their first order of doctrine when they're going to, does this church believe in predestination? Um, mm-hmm. Maybe less so, does this church preach the gospel every single week? So how, how might these doctrines with their reformed expressions help, again, expound the gospel of Jesus, not just an in and of itself being predestination? Um, and and are these, these uh, esoteric or, or scary doctrines 
do they do they belong in the pulpit or or are they a help or or how have they maybe not been used for for nefarious reasons but how do we how do we use these as vehicles for the gospel versus just themselves yeah that's a good one so i would i would say i'm not a, i don't preach regularly so i'm going to give that caveat but i think um I think a few things are important to keep in mind. One of them is that when Arminians or people who, you know, people who don't think like Calvinists, mm -hmm. when they're talking about God, they're talking about predestination or God's decree or things like that. They're, they're not, they don't distinguish between, between when the Bible is talking about God's eternal purposes mm -hmm. and God's express law or yeah. his express commands. Right. Yeah. And they're, so they're only thinking about what's, what's published right what's published in scripture or or maybe in in nature right and so it's like this is what god has said that we are that is required of us or what he wants us to do and what he what he desires right mm -hmm. for classical calvinists or augustinians there's you know there's a distinction not a divergence right mm -hmm. but a distinction which is this broader category of what god has purposed in his sovereign wisdom you know, which encompasses what he, you know, includes what he has told us, you know, commanded to us and, and so on. But it's, it, encom it encompasses much more than that. It's broader. It encompasses everything that will ever happen. Right. And so when you're preaching or teaching to people who think in terms of predestination as uh, a certain perspective on God's desires or his purposes, Think about the fact that a lot of these folks, if they're not used to this way of thinking, are going to think that you're referring to God's stated or, you know, purposes or his commands or his, you know, what he, what he said out loud, basically in the word. Right. And so that's why it feels so unbiblical and so uh, inappropriate for God. Right. Because you're, it seems like you're coming across as saying like, what God has said is that you know, most of you are condemned, a few of you, but I'm not going to say who are going to be saved. And so wrestle with that, you know, let <laughs> yeah. that be, you know, <laughs> you know, that's a crazy head trip. Okay. I'm, you know, mic drop. Right. Yep, and it's yep. just like, that is not what the preaching of the gospel looks no, like. Right. You know? Yeah. And so that's one thing to keep in mind is to be careful when you're talking about God's purposes, his decrees and everything to, to keep in mind that you need to mentor or school people in thinking of this ways in terms of you know there's like things god has explicitly told us the revealed things that are for us and for our children you know and then things that are just part of like his sovereignty and his purposes in the world that he's bringing about mm -hmm. and those things are not intention um you know the same you know what god meant for evil or what you meant for evil god meant for good right like with joseph and his brothers right like the same uh events even the same actions mm -hmm. god has intentions we have intentions mm -hmm. right and um and so that's one thing the second thing i would say is uh the assurance going back to assurance yeah is that the purpose of protecting these things is for assurance and so um and you know defending the faith and the, the truth of scripture and everything is all you know, I'm not denying that those things are important. I'm just sure. saying that the pastoral or preaching kind of emphasis in Dort and and frankly in 
the in the biblical passages that are talking that are you know referring to God's electing purposes is for the sake of assurance um, that yeah. God knows what He's doing. <clears throat> you know that people who have failed to embrace the gospel, like say a lot of Israelites who were looking forward to the Messiah and then they but they didn't embrace the gospel. Like what's what's the deal here? Well. Paul, when he talks about that, is assuring people that God's purposes haven't failed, right? Mm -hmm. When he talks about like you have been chosen or, you know, you are the, you know, God's elect people, he's trying to assure those people, right? And so even in both cases, it's, it's, you know, there's this pastoral goal of assurance. And then the last thing I would say is the reason that's so assuring that I think is really important for us to tie back with, with some things alluded to earlier is that we have to speak and preach as if the purposes of the Father and the Son and the Spirit in salvation, or really in everything, are fully aligned. Mm -hmm. That the Holy Spirit who is speaking to your heart, you know, that the gospel of Jesus is true for you, you know, like say when you come forward, you know, you you take the bread and the wine and the supper, and you're like, this is for me, mm -hmm. Right. The same, that's the same spirit, you know, who's, who has purpose from all eternity to save you, that the son who died for you purposed from all eternity to save you, mm -hmm. that the spirit who sent the son, his son and, 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 um, or the father who sent his son and his spirit to accomplish and apply your salvation, you know, even in this moment, right? Like, you know, his intention is, is the same as his son and his, and his spirit. And so, that is the ground in God for the assurance that predestination is supposed to preach. I love it. Yeah, that's I, that's a great way to to end this because I think a lot of a lot of people who either are turned off by some of these doctrines or those who I've kind of used these as kind of battering clubs mm -hmm. don't use it for assurance. They use it to to win a, a debate or they mm -hmm. use it to to tell you, you don't really have free will. You can't really choose the stuff. You came into the kingdom kicking and screaming, but God got you and be glad that he got you. Instead of saying, this is, this is for assurance. This is so you know, mm -hmm. that Jesus Christ intended because the father intended, because the Holy Spirit's going to apply that salvation to you personally. And, you. and let me, I don't want to add another point, but let me like play off that to just push it deeper. Yeah. If, you're thinking about the law and the gospel and when mm -hmm. it's appropriate to give the law and the gospel, which one's appropriate to give to someone who's struggling with assurance. Oh yeah. Gospel hundred percent. And when we give them the law yeah, <laughs> by beating them over the head with like not being biblical enough, or you don't understand predestination well enough, or you think, you know, you're so committed to free will, but you know, that's an illusion. When we're, when we're beating someone who's desperate for assurance over the head with the law, then we're we're failing to properly distinguish and apply the law and the gospel. And so when we say that predestination is a, is ultimately about assurance, like that shouldn't be used as a club, like you said, to beat over the heads of people who are desperate for assurance. Right? We exactly. should be preaching in such a way that the people who say like I didn't think I liked predestination you know, I didn't think I believed this, you know, that's predestination. Like, oh my goodness, it feels like grace, you yeah. know, exactly. It's because it is yeah, precisely. Yeah. 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 Well, Dr. Ellis, thank you so much. And and how we end these episodes with, with all of our West Cal um, graduates is, is where, where can they find you? Tell us our, 
tell our audience a little bit more about Modern Reformation, the work that you do for them and where they can find what you guys do. Yeah, modernreformation.org is uh, the website where we publish you know, everything that we put out as a magazine. It's a bi-monthly magazine that's in its 31st year. And, it was yeah. started uh, the same year as White Horse Inn uh, mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. and their sister brands. Um, yep. And there's also core Christianity now, which is yep. a, uh, is more for like either baby Christians, you know, yeah. either in terms of age or in terms yep. of, yeah, we know uh, Adriel the host pretty well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Adriel is great. Uh, and um, so though that kind of collection is under Sola media is the mm-hmm. parent organization, but modern reformation. Yeah. is a bi-monthly magazine uh, for, you know, thoughtful Christians who are trying to grow in the art and skill of theological reasoning and seeing how everything holds together in Jesus, like we've been talking about today. And um, and so modernreformation.org, if you want the print magazine, mm-hmm. uh, we are currently running a pay what you can annual subscription that. price. Yep. So yep. it's a it's a good time to, you know, whatever whatever the Lord leads you to put in that little fill-in box, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we'll, we'll take it. So awesome. Cool. And yeah, we'll, we'll have uh, links to all this <laughs> for our audience who, who may not have ever heard of modern reformation or, or thought about it. Like, Oh, this, this makes sense for me. We will, we will sign up today. So put a link for this in our show notes and, and a link for everything else we've talked about today, but it's been a joy, a pleasure having you on Dr. Ellis. Thank you so much for talking about what, what could be really sticky doctrine, but and grounding it in the gospel yeah. And letting our audience know this is not just kind of an esoteric thing on the in the on the on the side, but this is core to who God is and core to your salvation. So thank you so much for coming on and talk about these things. Amen. Nick, Peter, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Hope you enjoyed today's episode in our season six introduction to reform theology, where all of our guests come from Westminster Seminary, California, either current faculty or alumni who come from and graduated from Westminster and are serving institutions in churches and academies in the U.S. and all across the world. Where we talk about reform theology through the lens of our confessional tradition, Westminster, the Heidelberg, Belgic, and the Cans of Door. I myself. I'm a graduate of Westminster. I'm heavily influenced, obviously, by the institution and love to share this information with those who don't know this tradition as well. Yeah, and myself as a layperson, theologically interested in in Reformed theology, this has been extremely helpful this season and then the previous seasons, the last few years in the book clubs, but particularly the, the focus of this season whether you're a layperson or not, uh, having all the guests come from Westminster Seminary, California has been helpful. And you'll get an understanding of why that seminary has been so influential to obviously Peter, but myself. And most especially, uh, my pastor at my church is a Westminster Seminary, California graduate. Yeah. So if you guys want to find us, one of the easiest ways of helping us out is to find us on Apple or Spotify, whatever podcast catch, but especially those two rate and review us. And if you can share us, share an episode, share a season with your friend, that's, that's usually how we, how we uh, build our, our crowd.